I think I think we can we can start. So we we can make good use of all the time we have at our disposal. First of all, let me welcome all of you to the Atlantic Council. We are so glad that all you, that all of you could join us, despite the storms, despite the snow accumulating, the metro difficulties. I see that Libya still raises a lot of interest among uh, among my, among my, uh, our public, and we are very happy to to to, to host you here. Um, Today we are looking forward to hearing from Jacob Wickman, who will present the findings of a nationwide survey commissioned by USAID and conducted in Libya last August and September. The findings of this survey are very interesting to me, as it pre they present the opinions of Libyans, of common Libyans or Libyan citizens, which is something that very often gets forgotten or gets uh, uh, hidden behind the, the, the political and the international the political debates and international diplomatic efforts. The results also paint a picture of the direction Libyans hope for their country and can provide some ideas and long-term goals for the international community to keep in mind as it determines the best way to support Libya. Um, after Jacob's presentation, Jeff Van Ness of USAID will comment and provide US government perspective on the findings. And after Jeff's comments, I will take your question and we'll open up to, 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 to the debate. The only thing I haven't solved is when you do your pre the presentation of your of your uh, findings. Do you want to have to allow questions on the way? We want to finish everything and then get the question at the end. Both is fine. Okay, so we'll, let's keep it as informal as possible. If, yeah, if, exactly. if, if on the pre while presenting the slides, the, 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 you, you have a question you don't understand or you have a problem, you, you feel, 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 feel free to interrupt and, and ask the question right, right, right away. Um, Jacob? Thank you. Oh. No, it was on before. It was on. Yeah, thank you uh, very much. It's a pleasure and uh, to get this opportunity to be here today. So um, my name is Jacob and I've been uh, spending a lot of uh, time in Libya. I haven't lived there, but I've been in and out of Libya 15 times uh, since uh, 2012. And and has been part of uh, conducting uh, uh, a lot of, um, or uh, to be precise, five uh, public opinion surveys. Uh, the first one starting in May 2012, and the last one is the USAID uh, uh, public opinion survey that, uh, that Kareem just uh, mentioned. Um, so what what we will try to do today is, is to present not only the findings from the most recent survey, but try to deduce sort of the general sentiment of, uh, of, of the Libyans across the surveys uh, to see if there is a, a, a common picture. And, and actually, I think there is, despite the, the turmoil, the political uh, shifts, uh, the security events in Libya, the, there are, um, the public sentiment on a few key uh, elements have, have remained quite stable. Um, and and, and that, is, uh, that is what we, we, would, uh, we would touch on today. And uh, well, I, I forgot to say thank you for, to Kareem for- Yes, for I was getting really offended. Yeah, <laughs> for hosting it. And, 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 and thank you very much uh, to USAID for, for, for sponsoring uh, the survey, the project, and, and, and giving us this opportunity to, uh, 
to present on uh, on sort of uh, some 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 research on on, on the Libyan uh, public opinion. Okay, uh, we have uh, also. Uh, there's a lot of uh, information in, in the slides I will present today. So afterwards, you can, uh, uh, Catherine, uh, where are you, Catherine? She will, uh, she will send out uh, to the ones that are interested the slides from the presentation, so you can, uh, so you can uh, look at them uh, in, in, uh, in more detail. In exchange of a modest compensation. <laughs> Obviously. I'm trying, I'm trying to raise money somehow. <laughs> But let's um, uh, let's start with the with the with the conclusion. Uh, what uh, there are some, you know, the general picture of Libya is uh, unfortunately one of uh, turmoil, uh, uncertainty, uh, uh, militias, and so on and so forth. But uh, that is not the the whole story. Um, uh, the the story is that uh, the 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 daily life of the Libyans is highly impacted by the ongoing uh, crisis in the country. Armed groups or militias are seen as the root cause of the conflict, and disarmament of the armed groups is widely supported. Yet two out of three Libyans support an, support an armed group with strong regional differences in support. So they do, the armed groups uh, do locally provide some, so, some kind of security in Libya at the moment. In terms of uh, support for democracy, uh, and this is, this is uh, the, I will repeat this uh, point many, many times, but uh, democracy is perceived as the best form of government, and, uh, but the citizens um, are becoming increasingly disengaged and, and mistrust in the population uh, is running deep. Uh, there is a positive outlook in Libya on the constitution drafting process and support for human rights and, uh, and women's, women's rights, but there's also in Libya a willingness to de derogate from these rights le that leaves room for authorities and actors to violate fu fundamental rights. On governance, there is uh, strong support for local govern governments and their perception, uh, but with notable regional differences. However, public service delivery and trust in core democratic institutions in, is low. So you get this, there's a very dual picture in the public opinion, and we'll, 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 we'll dig into this now. Um, so just to be more specific, uh, this, this presentation is based on, um, on five, five public opinions, four. Uh, for, uh, for uh, done under the auspices of uh, the National Democratic Institutes and implemented by uh, Divan Market Research, actually, actually the, the director of Divan Market Research in Dallas here today, uh, and, uh, and one done by uh, Altai Consulting, um, uh, which was a phone survey, which is the most uh, recent USA survey. So there's quite a substantial body of evidence supporting, uh, supporting these, uh, these findings. So let me first talk about sort of the perceptions on democracy. Uh, the overall support for democratic governance is continuously high. Three out of four Libyans see democracy as the best form of government. And despite the current crisis and negative developments, the support has remained largely unchanged the past two years. 
Furthermore, as we can see in the figure, most Libyans define democracy by ensuring core civil political rights rather than social and economic rights. This sets Libya, actually sets Libya apart from neighboring countries where, where democracy is, is more viewed as a, in social and economic terms, indicating uh, uh, actually indicating a deeper democratic sentiment in, in, in the Libyan uh, public uh, as compared to, for example, Egypt and Tunisia. Libyans, further, furthermore, do not only want democratic government, but also a united government and country. Despite tribal regional struggle and moves towards federalism and state breakup, Libyans are still favorable to a unified Libya. Our data shows that across regions, Libyan preferred a unified country. Other results from our source also shows that Libyans favor a middle ground between centralization and federalism, given local governance some responsibilities while maintaining a level of centralized control. Despite liberal sentiment in the citizens uh, are increasingly becoming disengaged and mistrust in the population uh, runs deep. Even though democratic sentiment run, runs deep in the Libyan populations, Libyans show a low sense of political efficacy, indicating their perceived ability to understand and influence politics. This affects the otherwise positive democratic values as Libyans feel too far from the democratic processes, both in terms of knowledge and possibilities. The lack of civic engagement also materializes in the ballot box. Voter turnout has steadily dropped in the, in the Libyan transition period. 62% of registered voters turned, turned up for the first post-Gaddafi election to vote in the General National Congress in 2012. The turnout represented about 49% of the voting age population in Libya. For the 2014 Constitution Drafting Assembly election, this dropped to an estimated 45% of registered voters and only 12% of the voting age population. The 2014 election for the HUR, or House of Representatives election, did not fare much better, with only 42% of registered voters and 16% of the voting age population turning up. This is despite the fact that our data shows that Libyans believe that the previous elections were free and fair, and this is important that they perceived it was free and fair, uh, as, this, as the data shows that this will drive turnout for the, for the upcoming and future elections. In, intention of voting in future par parliamentary elections has, like the actual turnout, also steadily fallen in Libya in the Libyan transition period, from 83% intending to vote in May 2013 to 63% in October 2015. This disengagement from the political process, of course, is linked to low feelings of political efficacy, uh, presents a serious po problem for the legitimacy of the democratic system in Libya. Other key challenges which related to the stability of the democratic system is the limited trust in the population. Uh, Authoritarianism under Gaddafi actually create, created antagonism between the population, uh, population groups to le legitimize, legitimize uh, their own rule and strong sense of security 
apparatus. The legacy lives on in Libya today, as well as other North African countries. Outside the narrow social circle, family, neighbors, friends, and co-workers, Libyans resemble the region with low levels of trust. A good single in indicator of social trust is whether you trust people you meet for the first time. In, for example, Sweden, in, for example, Sweden, 86% uh, trust such, uh, such people you meet for the first time, while only 23% of Libyans trust people they meet for the first time. In comparison, it's 11% uh, for Egyptians. This limited trust threatens the stability of democracy, as our research from Libya shows that lower levels of trust in other people leads to lower support for democracy, uh, all things being equal. The limited social trust is also a reason and a result of limited social engagement as our Libyans, as Libyans tend to have limited participation in social organization, political parties, and so on. If we, turn, uh, if we turn our focus to human rights, Libyans show a strong support for securing basic rights in the Constitution. Just as Libyans have a liberal understanding of democracy, they also show strong support for basic human rights. This indicates a positive future for Libya, as most Libyans are optimistic about the Constitution drafting process and want essential human rights to be included in the new uh, const constitutional legislation. These rights include both positive and negative freedoms, including the right to education, the right to fair trial, and freedom of speech. Together with a strong democratic sentiment and liberal understanding of the core political institution and right makes future ground for the future. Libyans also show all support for women's rights where the vast majority favors equal rights for men and women with the exclusion of traveling alone. The positive outlook on gender equality also materialized into politics that two-thirds of Libyans have equal confidence in male and female officials representing their interest in national politics. However, but the protection of these rights is limited in the current situation. Only 41% of Libyans believe they are completely free to express their political views in the current situation. And this may be a good reason, and, and this, there may be good reasons, as we've seen uh, vocal activists being exposed to assassination, kidnappings, etc. Gender-based violence is another core concern in relation to securing women's, women's rights. More than three out of four Libyans believe that verbal, verbal harassment and violence against women inside and outside the house is a major problem. And one of the reasons why these rights violations occur is that despite Libyan's strong support for protection of these rights, the support wither when you scratch through the surface. So when push comes to shove, two, two out of three Libyans show willingness to derogate, derogate from these rights, such as limiting freedom of speech and assembly to protect national stability and to guard against criticizing the majority of the or government. This potentially leaves room for authorities and actors to violate uh, fundamental rights. Turning to governance. 
In such a situation, with a citizenry willing to derogate from core human rights, it's important to have strong institutions securing the rights against outside pressure. The judiciary is, of course, key in securing citizens' rights, and in Libya, a majority also have a positive view of the judiciary, who find themselves to find, who they find should be responsible for keeping checks on the government and providing transitional justice. Impressively, 56% of the population see courts as providing fair trials. Another institution that shows that show strength in Libya in the Libya transition are the municipal councils. Almost half of the Libyans evaluate their performance as good or very good. However, great variations exist across municipalities. As the figure shows, 67% of the Misratians believe the municipal council is performing well, while only 36% of the Benghazians hold, hold this view. Our research shows that the quality of service delivery is a core driver of perceptions of municipal councils uh, performance. Forward-looking Libyans would like to have a dedicated committee such as, such as an ombudsman institution to ensure nationally and locally elect elected officials are held accountable. This could help further institutional capacity in the country and trust in public institutions. Because, as we see, uh, a key governance challenge uh, a key, key governance challenge is the, is the low levels of trust in public institutions. As we see from the figure, less than 33% of Libyans have moderate to high trust in the GNC or the House of Representatives and the political parties. In the opposite, in the opposite end, Libyans have high trust in the police and military despite having very low cap beside these uh, institutions having very low capacity at the moment. The low trust is likely related to the national political conflict between the two parliaments where political parties are also perceived to hold some of the blame. The crisis has caused a sharp de deterioration of the quality of public service services, especially roads, electricity and health care institutions receiving the lowest ratings. Again, we see regional differences, with service delivery being evaluated better in Misrata than Benghazi and Tripoli, with links to the previous figure, and the, and the higher ratings of the municipal council's performance in Misrata. Turning to security. But while Misratans may have less, been less affected by the crisis than other municipalities on the national level, the crisis that broke out in 2014 has had a high impact on Libyans' daily lives. 74% of Libyans say that daily lives have been affected at least to some extent, especially males, higher-educated high and people living in the eastern part of the country. 72% of Libyans believe in May 2015 that Libya was worse off compared to before the revolution in 2011, up from 20% in, in May 2013. According to respondents, it is the deteriorating situation for security, but also human rights, economy, the economy, political freedoms in the country that has left them worse off. The, 
the deteriorating security environment is rooted in the proliferation of armed groups in the country. And we see from the figure, armed groups are overwhelmingly seen as creating insecurity rather than security. And we see that disarmament of militias is the top priority for Libyans. But Libyans do find themselves in a predicament vis-a-vis -vis the armed groups. While the armed groups are seen to be creating insecurity, they are also the, the only guarantor of security in the local areas. So while they are generally seen to be a cause of insecurity, two out of three Bolivians still have a favorable opinion of a specific armed group. And there are important regional differences in the perception of armed groups. So while we saw on the previous slide that nationally only 23% of the Libyans believe that armed groups create security, 39% of Misratans hold this view. These regional differences can make it difficult to implement a nationwide framework for disarmament of the armed groups. In general, Lib Libyans, however, are favorable towards a framework that would seek disarmament by providing education and job opportunities for the members of the armed groups. But without addressing the security situation which challenges the monopoly of power for the state, it will be difficult to build a strong institution that are needed to ensure democracy, rights, and governance in Libya. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jacob. Lots of, lots of things to talk about. Okay. Jeff, do you want to comment on this and then? Sure. Yes. Yes. Um, no, you don't do anything. No, okay. Um, thank you. I want to thank the Atlantic Council for, again, hosting this event and for all of you coming out. Um, given the weather and the various shutdowns to attend this. It's, it's, it's great to be um, reaching the larger community of, of Libya watchers. And uh, um, I've worked with, with Jacob and seen his work uh, for a number of years. And I think it's it, what he's, he's put together of kind of the time lapse, uh, showing a lot of the consistencies over time is very important. Um, I've been working on Libya since 2012 for um, the U.S. Agency for International Development, including time at the embassy in Tripoli uh, in 2012, in the spring and summer, uh, and, and watching these things. And I think uh, looking at public opinion over time provides a much more accurate picture of what actually is stable in the, in the country uh, and then what is changing. And I packaged this together in a, a slightly different version than than Jacob would call you know, the Libya consensus, and some of it reflects on how USAID has been, been programming uh, to support Libya's political transition. And I kind of define it first up is that, that security and instability uh, is and always has been the number one concern in post-Qaddafi Libya. And I think um, the international community um, is starting to realize that this is perhaps one continuing long conflict um, that there there was a, a perhaps a, a hiatus or a quiet moment uh, after the overthrow of Gaddafi and again that time that I was in Libya uh, in 2012 was kind of the, the seems now like a golden age 
But it's clear, particularly looking back at the, the public opinion research that was, was done, um, in addition to what, what Jacob has worked on, a number of things. I think the first one was done in Oxford research in December 2011. Uh, IRI has done research, NDI using Jacob has done a number, Benghazi Research Center, a lot of this going through Diwan um, in, in Libya, Democracy International, Altai have all been mentioned. Um, looking back at some of those surveys, and in particular I'm thinking of IFAS's survey on uh, women in political processes, I remember at the time seeing the number one reason why women didn't vote, and you talked about voter turnout numbers um, decreasing or percentages decreasing. Uh, the last election actually had an uptick in the numbers, although the percentage stayed the same. The number one reason back then was security concerns. And uh, I remember thinking of them as much more uh, localized and not serious, because clearly at that point the country was getting a lot better. But now I realize uh, a little bit of na nativity on, on my part and on many of the, the international communities to realize that the situation as Libyans were living it was still very different from how we were perceiving it. Uh, and that security was not just the number one reason why women uh, did not go to the polls back in July 2012 in their first election in 40 years, but it also turns out to be the number one reason why men did not go to the polls back in 2012. Um, Naturally, I think that's a, a big factor, not the only one in decreased turnout for the HOR and, and CDA uh, elections, but um, you can't get around that, that fact that security was and always, well, will be for the foreseeable time, uh, even under a, a government of national unity should it, it come into, um, uh, into a, a realization on the ground. Me, you were saying about 2012, or you, were, you mean 2014, or am I misunderstanding? The, the decrease in... In the, if you look at the numbers of voters in yeah. 2014, because there was yes. the CDA election yes. and then the HOR election, yes. there's 150,000 more votes cast. Yes. No, per no, percentage we, is the same. I caught you saying 2012, that's why... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So 2014. 2012 was the peak for yes. votes cast, but then they changed the registration system and it went down. But within the six-month period that they had the CDA election and then the okay. HOR election, okay. folks okay. voted. But nevertheless, security is a major uh, problem in that. Uh, as, as Jacob well articulated, uh, Libyans have strong support for democratic processes, which they can actually... Um, accurately define, uh, seeing more detail on some of the numbers of Tunisians and Egyptians and elsewhere, uh, Yemenis, and how they define democracy, and uh, often in economic terms, uh, makes you almost realize that if we could get those countries answering questions the way that Libyans do, we would actually consider that uh, a big accomplishment. But uh, it, it really means, particularly given the troubles in Libya, uh, that there's a lot of resilient there, resiliency there among the, the Libyan people. Kind of the, the third part of the consensus, Jacob went over well with the agreement on protection of a lot of widely recognized human, civil, and, and political rights. Um, and, you know, including when you ask them about the Constitution, there's, there's a lot of support for protecting them in there. Uh, kind of the fourth element of the Libya consensus, looking at all of these surveys 
and having worked with Libyans um, over the years, in, I don't think Jacob mentioned, but it's in some of the, the survey research, is that there's um, a preference for local solutions over uh, outsider solutions that kind of holds at um, the local level, that within a community, within a city, um, they want to find local solutions to perhaps an ethnic or tribal conflict um, or economic uh, conflict that they prefer to find that locally than to have it imposed by the national government. Uh, and then at the national level, Libyans prefer Libyan-led solutions to, to those uh, engineered by outsiders, the international community, um, whether it be the UN, neighboring states, the, the US, um, not to say that they're not looking for solutions uh, wherever they may come from, uh, but given the choice, the Libyans prefer the Libyan-led solutions um, there. Um, but then the kind of the key thing, and I'm glad to see this in Jacob's presentation because even if you solve all the other problems, it's this lack of trust um, that has been intentionally engineered under Gaddafi for 40 years uh, where Libyans were were pitted against each other, um, cannot be erased overnight. Um, even if under a government of national accord um, or any other resolution to this, uh, there's still the various situations of Libyans not initially trusting each other. And this is where it kind of spins off into, you know, the kind of the programming approach that USAID has been supporting uh, and, and also the Department of State. I can speak more about uh, our partners and kind of the broad lesson learned is, you know, often we find the value of our programs is something uh, different than what we thought it was going to be. And where a lot of our partners have been getting traction um, is in their convening authority. Uh, that by bringing Libyans together from different backgrounds, from different parts of the country, uh, and just getting them in the room, even if it's to talk about some specific topic like sources of municipal revenue generation uh, or human rights that need to be in the Constitution, the value of getting them in the room for some reason is watching what else that they will come to agreement on. And this is not an instant process, it's not overnight, but uh, it is from a programming perspective on international development, one of the key deliverables our partners um, have. Uh, and that's where we've been seeing a lot of traction and a lot of, of, of spinoff. And um, this happens at a very small level, at a local level, and it needs to be happening at a much larger level um, if Libya is, is going to progress out of its current uh, environment. But the, the takeaway from the Libya consensus is that um, among the Libyan people, there's still a lot of resiliency. Um, they're handicapped by a legacy of 40 years without institutions of governance and a legacy of insecurity that's been produced since, since Gaddafi. Um, but there's a lot to work there with there if we can work on the trust issues and establish uh, a stronger security environment there. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. On this point, I have, a, I have just one question, Jacob. Do you, uh, in, in your survey, have you put the question about political parties or larger aggregations for, for, this, for those who support democracy? Because 
one way to overcome this tribalism, this division, is to create forces which are tran tran transversal, transregional, tran I, I, even ideologically. Is there is there a, a question that says whether the people are absolutely no against it, or there is an opening towards this, or can can that be an avenue to, that is maybe worth pursuing for the next elections? Like for example. <coughs> It, it would be important to, to, to assess the fact whether the Libyans are ready to, to, to have an election that is entirely based on parties, or they prefer it's go only by individuals and have a, a more general election like, like, like that. What's your take on this? Well, um, I think this is, this is one thing that we've, uh, it was not in this pr presentation, but we have uh, looked at it intensive, intensively uh, also in, 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 in collaboration with NDI, who's been who, who has worked with the political parties in Libya. And um, basically the story is that, uh, that there was some support for political parties uh, early on in, uh, in, uh, af after the revolution, but uh, they have been, uh, uh, this support has decreased rapidly. Um, uh, Libyans do not see uh, uh, Political parties, they see uh, political parties more of, as, as an entity uh, creating uh, conflict and, and, and turmoil and less as a democratic institution that is, that is part of the solution. At least this is the, this is the perception. Um, and I think one of the reasons behind, behind this perception, uh, uh, as we've seen in the data and the research, has been... I think closely related to uh, the performance of the national uh, elective bodies or the GNC. Uh, also, we saw early on in 2012 that there was um, uh, not significant, but 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 good support for 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 the for, for the GNC. But but that also uh, vary from 2012 to 13 and so on. It sort of decreased uh, decreased rapidly. So to answer your question shortly, uh, right now um, uh, the political parties as an actor is, doesn't seem to have sort of the backing, the legitimacy uh, to really take that role. Which um, um. leaves us with an open question of how do you have a democracy without political parties and how do you administer it and how you manage it in a, in a, in a representative exactly. system. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay, let's open it to the to the public. Can you just say introduce yourself and then ask your question? Doug Brooks, uh, President Emeritus with the International Stability Operations Association. Uh, my question: Did you ask any? Or my I guess my question is: um, Did you ask anything? Uh, regarding the influence uh, of uh, foreign countries in their system, were they open to Italy and other countries perhaps uh, assisting with their governance and so on? Uh, yes, <laughs> uh, we did. Uh, we've asked uh, several times uh, on uh, both sort of uh, uh, both what is the perception of uh, of. Uh, foreign actors, uh, sort of uh, multinational organizations, uh, governments, US, uh, uh, EU, um, and, um, and, and so on. And, and I think the, the conclusion is that uh, in terms of, uh, I think there's two conclusions. One, one conclusion is that, that there's a fairly, fairly high acceptance of that, that there are international actors and 
international actors are needed to help facilitate uh, a transition process um, in, in Libya. And uh, actually, um, uh, sort of the US, Europe, uh, and multilateral organizations are favored to be such actors compared to, for example, um, other North African or Middle Eastern countries, which which Libyans see of more sort of meddling in, in internal uh, in, in in internal politics in Libya. With that said, I think there's also a clear indication in in the data that uh, Libyans are really favoring of sort of a Libya, Libyan-led uh, solutions uh, to to their own uh, to their own issues. And, and, and therefore, uh, um, international actors should, should act diligently in terms of how, how, uh, how do they support, support the process because um, uh, they should be very careful, at least according to the public opinion, of, 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 uh, of, of assuming a role or of, of sort of uh, taking over the process because um, at least our data indicates that that will not be uh, very successful. Anyone else? Yes, please. Stephen Taft, I'm research director at Effective Communication Strategies. We're a uh, government relations firm. Uh, thank you. Um, so I was wondering, did you all notice any uh, differences in uh, kind of this liberal outlook between uh, the residents of the uh, what's now the Libya Dawn governed areas and the Tobruk governed areas? Because uh, an outside observer would would assume, uh, since the Libya Dawn government's more Islamist, its supporters there might have a somewhat different outlook. Did you notice any differences? Um, no, not on. Uh, I, I think it's. The sentiment uh, is 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 uh, at, le at least borne out nowadays is sort of uh, general uh, across the two uh, the two opposing parties uh, in, uh, in 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 the current uh, in the current conflict and 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 uh, as as Jeff noted uh, the 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 perception of very rights based perception of democracy uh, compared to uh, for example Tunisia and, and and Egypt so we didn't see regional differences there. When you when you talk about the supporters of the government of the east and the government of the west, there's kind of you may not be finding that in a, in a public opinion survey because something that's been been showing up uh, that that Jacob didn't present is um, declining levels of support um, first for the GNC and then for the HOR. And right now, when you're asking the question of of the popular, which one do you support? Um, I forget the exact numbers, but neither of these elected bodies um, and presumably the the individuals leading the the, the governments of them enjoys a very broad support um, in in any area and that's something that has changed over time it wasn't always the case um, but it's 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 part of that disconnect between the, the governments uh, and the, the Libyan Libyan public which, which is the disconnect between the na official narrative and the reality on the ground, which is uh, the official narrative presented as an, as an ideological clash between two, between two visions of, of, of the political realm. In reality, it's only a fight between local interests and, and other various uh, arguments. Yes, Chris. 
Um, Christopher Blanchard with the Congressional Research Service. To link these two questions about support for a foreign role and um, what Jeffrey just had to say about declining trust in public institutions, it seems that U.S. and in a broader sense European policy towards Libya now is very much predicated on getting a government of national unity in place in order for that government to be able to pivot and then request such external assistance, particularly with regard to security, but in other areas as well. Um, if we're looking forward, uh, and we're operating in an environment where the survey data tells us that there's a declining sense of trust. Why, why should we expect that this government of national unity will be any better positioned to make a legitimate or credible request for such external assistance? No, please, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, the... The process producing um, this government of national accord um, has been largely led by the UN. Um, the US has supported it. Um, and while it may certainly seem like it's an external effort, the fact is that there, there is buy-in from some Libyans. The Lyon process was always involved representatives of the GNC faction as well as representatives of the, um, the HOR. Um, when uh, Kobler took over the process and rebooted it, um, he kind of broadened it with uh, the, the recognition that within each of those bodies, elected bodies, there's a, a majority of it. Um, what I see is though one of the, the strengths of the political accord, behind the government of national unity uh, is a recognition that gets back into the processes agreed upon by the Libyans. Um, I contrast this with the, the process in Yemen, the, the Gulf Cooperation Council Agreement in 2011, where uh, kind of at the beginning, and this was negotiated among political actors in Yemen sponsor, under the sponsorship of the, the GCC, but it opens up and says, this accord is, uh, supersedes the Constitution and all the laws of Yemen, and this is how we're going to do it. The president's going to step down, the vice president's going to step up, and then in three months we're going to have an election, and that vice president's the only ones on the ballot, and we're going to govern this way for the next two years and end up with a new Constitution, and that's, that's how it's going to be. And then they took it back to Yemen, and it was not instantly popular, um, versus the agreement that has been worked out uh, under the sponsorship of the UN um, goes back into the Libyan process. And in this government of national accord uh, must be approved by the House of Representatives, which is the internationally recognized body. Um, the names have been printed, and, and as we saw this week, um, they were rejected. Um, and, but the HOR told the, the government designated, try harder come back with, with something that's going to function better. Uh, and then perhaps more importantly, but also more difficult, um, the agreement also specifically says, you've got to amend the Libyan constitutional declaration to do this. It's not automatic that they're setting this up. So um, that's where some of the, the, the legitimacy comes from. Um, while a lot of the, the newspaper reports advanced it as, ah, here's the new government. It's still a designated government uh, and a designated presidency council that 
by the time that it is the actual government, will have received uh, multiple votes of, of confidence in, in the HOR. That's the, the process that it's going through. So it will accumulate legitimacy, plus survey data um, under Jacobs and actually some more, more recent stuff done by the Office of Transition Initiatives show that there is an appetite for a unity government among Libyans. Um, they prefer a unity government to the two that they currently have now. Um, whether or how long that will hold once there's actual actors in place and performance remains to be seen, and we want to make sure it lasts as long as possible and as long to get the rest of the steps of the transition done. Um, but it will accumulate legitimacy by the time that it is, is up and running. Anyone else? Chuck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. It's it's really uh, nobody nobody wants uh, nobody likes nobody wants uh, ISIL in the country. Well, well, militias in general are, are seen as as you saw as an uh, as an issue, and I think uh, ISIL is is. Is, is is seen as a you know a significant problem um, in, in in the public opinion. To, to what extent this, this you know in in the how, how much it affects Libyans in their day to day life? That's I, I don't know that, but I just it, it's they're really uh, so if you rank militias in terms of favorability, and we've asked about uh, ISIL as well. It's 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 uh, you know the lowest. Uh, the lowest of the lowest. Hi, um, Amr Benes, co-founder of the uh, Libya River Project. Um, so I've worked with Jacob in 2013 in NDI and I'm aware of the uh, public opinion polls, like, you know, ranging back to 2012. And, you know, on the paper here it says that, you know, all these public opinion surveys are, you know, to ensure that the voice of the average Libyan, you know, affects, you say, programming and, you know, all the international actors acting in Libya. My question now is, you know, the main problem that we've seen over and over again since 2012 is, you know, Libyan citizens saying, like, militia groups are, like, that's the biggest issue in our minds. That's what we see as the main problem. So my question is, you know, we've had public opinion surveys done since 2012 saying the same exact thing over and over again. I'm just wondering what you think the effect of these public opinion surveys were on actual international actors, you know, programming in Libya in various ways. There's been a lot of, you know, journalists going in, conducting research, and then, you know, whether, you know, individuals or actual security apparatuses saying we're not receiving the support that we need. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the actual effect of these public opinion surveys on the ground. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I can only speak on, on for USAID. Um, and like I said, I've been looking, I, I like opinion polls. I've been looking at them even before I went to, to Libya. Uh, and I think that they've had a big influence in there in both 
um, looking for some opportunities to build upon as well as looking for some things that we need to perhaps reverse. Uh, I think that they have informed programming to a great deal uh, and the partners that USAID is, is sponsoring on the ground, well, IRI, NDI, IFAS, and the, uh, the American Bar Association uh, all have a lot of expertise in this. And not all of the surveys that we're, we're talking about were commissioned or sponsored by, by USAID. Um, some of them were, some of them were by other donors, some of them were by non-US donors, but um, collectively they're, they're kind of largely telling the same story. Um, unfortunately, on some of the, the key areas um, that are problems are not ones that USAID can work on. Uh, we can do some disarmament, uh, demobilization, disarmament, reintegration work, um, but we as an agency, it's, it's not in our scope to solve the security problem in, in Libya. But we have worked, say, with, with NDI, as you mentioned, uh, which was, we have a legislative strengthening project with. Um, it allows us to direct, perhaps, say, which committees that they work with in the, the legislature. Um, those focusing on security or finances may take priority over those handling, say, cultural affairs or tourism development. Um, not directly uh, getting there, but contributing in some ways. So, yeah, it, it has had influence on, on the projects. If, if I may add, I think one of the key things that Libya really needs is research. <laughs> It's uh, done, uh, we've done numerous studies, not only these public opinion surveys, but across Libya. And, and really Libya is devoid of data and, and, and good research and, and so on. And I think the, the, more, the more the merrier to, to, uh, for the international actors, Libyans themselves and so on, to, uh, to have fact-based discussions and, and, and to take decisions based on, uh, based on facts. So I, feel, I really feel I've never, Worked in a country with as little as little data as as, as Libya, and and I think that's a key key challenge also going forward. Really, I'd like to, to add you know, two points. We've mainly been talking about the quantitative data. There's also been qualitative research that has been done uh, out there uh, for the the question about political parties. NDI did a number of focus group discussions back in 2012 and 13, or 11, 12, and 13, um, that really zero on an attitudes, or at least at that time, on political parties as they were emerging. But uh, uh, other groups have, uh, I know Safer World has done some good write-ups and some good reports on security situation. There's other stuff on DDR, uh, USIP. There's a lot of qualitative research products out there as well um, that can inform. And I, I'd also like to, to kind of point out a limit. Uh, one of the, the problems we have in converting questions to programming is when we come up with, with the survey questions, uh, we often think about what we're already doing. Um, and admittedly, that's a bias that we, we are in, that's ingrained in us that we need to overcome and think about sectors that we may not specifically be working on uh, at the moment and to see how those influence um, what we need to be doing for more integrated solution. So that's a challenge. If you have ideas of questions you'd like to see in another uh, future survey, let us know and we'll see, <laughs> see if we agree that there's value in there. But we're open to good ideas too. Um, Thank you, Jacob. Lauren? 
Thank you, uh, Lauren Barr, State Department. Um, well, first of all, thank you for contributing to the field of, uh, of the data that's available to us, even though it's limited. I actually wanted to follow up on that very question. Um, I noticed you were able to disaggregate some data from major cities, uh, Misrata, Tripoli, Benghazi. Were you able to pull out any specific trends from the south? Um, and then also, if you care to comment on what data you'd like to see um, or what research you think is most needed where you, you see the gaps um, are, uh, are biggest. Uh, in, you thought you were going to have an easy time. Huh? <laughs> no, in terms of um, in terms of trends, uh, I, we do have fairly good uh, um, data also on the south. Uh, um, I tend to I, I can't recall specifically what is what is specific about the south uh, region. Does play in general uh, south, east, west, and so on. Does does in general play play somewhat of a role as a as an explanatory variable of uh, of, of certain things. Um, in terms of uh, in, in, in terms of future in terms of future research uh, on on Libya, um, well, there's where to start. <laughs> um, um, no, so we, so so a key challenge in Libya is is is, uh, is strengthening uh, strengthening institutions in Libya. Uh, we we did the transparency uh, internationals integrity assessment. Uh, I I don't know if it has been published, um, but but there we we pointed out sort of key key challenges across uh, across government uh, government institutions in terms of. Uh, in terms of uh, transparency and accountability and, and, and so on. And I, I think that, that uh, this is a key area of, to focus is how to, how to strengthen institutions in Libya, how to, uh, how to find uh, partners uh, that you can, that where you can help facilitate building their capacity that can, that can help uh, uh, institutionalizing uh, um, uh, you know, uh, processes and so on in Libya. I think that 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 is a that's a key area among others. Uh, you know, a lot more a lot more uh, funds should go into research in Libya. <laughs> I agree, definitely agree. <laughs> um, is there any other question? Yes. Uh, hi, my name is Maggie Proctor. I'm with Creative Associates. Um, you mentioned that uh, when, with regard to local government, municipal government, uh, service delivery is a key factor in satisfaction or dissatisfaction. So I was wondering what other factors you did look at, um, whether it was level of uh, the government's engagement with citizens or processes that they followed. Um, what are you comparing in terms of service delivery as the top answer there? Now I'm being challenged <laughs> across the. Um, uh, I I really can't um, just just from the top of my head. Uh, I'll I'll be happy to get back to you to uh, on on that particular question. Yeah. There, there are distinctions between different types of services, whether it's mm -hmm. waste, trash, or parks, exactly. or uh, police. Mm -hmm. I think there's also the definition of police 
But but I think it's interesting to see on on sort of the municipal level that Misrata consistently across uh, service delivery, uh, trust, and so on. So fourth uh, is performing is performing much better than uh, than uh, than for example Tripoli and Benghazi and and, and other areas. Um, and they also like uh, like the militia better in in Misrata, and that may be part of part of the uh, be part of part of the the explanation uh, but th i think that's an interesting fact what is it uh, that uh, mis the what, what what is it that is working well in uh, in misrata compared to other uh, uh, compared to other municipalities across the board okay uh, i have just one one curiosity if there is one data that really surprised me is the one about the acceptance or positive vision of the judiciary that really surprised me. How can you? How do you explain it? How do you? I, I think uh, Jeff actually has the uh, Jeff Jeff uh, often uh, uh, often uh, points to uh, the acceptance of of rule of law to some extent in Libya. Uh, could you could you comment on that? Um, I think that's part of the explanation. It, well, I, I I really don't have a. a a clear answer. Um, I know that you know the ABA, one of our partners, um, has been working with courts and lawyers, um, and you know the Bar Association is one of the civil society organizations that um, survived Gaddafi. Uh, they were mm -hmm. in place before. Their same Bar Association is in place afterwards. Um, I understand that there was a, a, a structure of the courts, and I, I don't know enough um, to. To explain that, I know uh, IFAS has been working with courts and judges on election dispute resolution. Um, I'm not really sure, but I, I have noted, and that's one of the, as I mentioned, one of the areas that we're not directly engaging in on uh, the judiciary that it's interesting to, to, to track. But I think, Jacob, we've, one thing you didn't talk about is so much is the methodologies and that this was... Uh, one, of, one of the reasons I trust a lot of this data is different methodologies have been used. The most recent survey uh, that you did was a telephone survey, but some of the outliers and anomalies tracked with in-person surveys that had been conducted earlier. I remember the, mm. um, the, the right of women to travel by their own stuck mm. out in, in, in both ones. So, exactly. Um, I don't have a, a specific answer on... What, what, what is your take, Kareem? No, I, 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 it raises some doubts because my personal experience is that in theory nobody really trusts the, the, the judiciary either because yeah. it's corrupt or because it's coming from Gaddafi or because it's uh, insecure or something like that. But if in a survey, but we are always limited by the people you know, right? When you have an impression, you know what, a hundred person and they, 70 percent, 70 of them tell you, tell, you, tell you something that you think that's what the Libyans think. So the polls are very useful because they, they enlarge the, the, the poll of people that, that, that you can ask the question. And if I get this, more or less 60%, 65% of the people had a positive vision of the judiciary, then it raises in my mind a lot of questions also about the fact how uh, the decision of the Supreme Court in November regarding the validity of the HOR, et cetera, has been dismissed uh, abroad and within the country by saying, no matter what, nobody believes that the, 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 the court is independent, nobody has trust on the, on the judiciary, they are under duress, they are under force, so therefore we, can, we, we cannot accept it. Well. 
That's because we have, uh, we have that impression. But if a poll comes and tells me that 60% of the Libyans, on the other hand, do trust their judiciary, maybe the, the, the decision of that court was thrown out too, too quickly, too superficially, too, 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 too quickly. Yeah, that's, that's, the, the, that's the word. So that, that, that was my doubt. That was my, my, my thinking about the, about the, the data because Truth is, the impression we have of a country is always limited by the people you know. And the importance of polls is exactly that, that they expand your vision, so. But, but I also think when you look at numbers like that, you should always, uh, it's a good, good to compare it to, you know, the same question to other institutions. And, 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 and I, I, you see the judiciary sort of have, have a higher, higher level of, yeah. of trust than other institutions, for example, the, the, the national bodies and so on. So just draw attention to some of the earlier high-profile court decisions, mm. um, the one that settled the dispute between who is the prime minister, Altini yeah, or Maitag, where, I mean, armed groups were mobilized over that question until it was tossed to the courts, and then also um, the, the decision that the uh, third or fourth constitutional amendment, the one about the elected CDA, was... Yeah. Uh, illegitimate and that was decided by the courts and it, it got held up and then they repassed it with a quorum. But those are some earlier things where, well, those didn't cause constitutional crisis. They were settled by the courts. But um, for for the reasons why those were trusted and, and stuck at the time, I, I it's not my, my strength. But it's an interesting, an interesting discussion to have some other time. If there are no other questions, if no, nobody has... Uh, Anyone has something to say? We have ten more minutes. Uh, otherwise, we, Tamim, you want to say something? Hello, Tamim Bayou with the uh, Libya National Dialogue. Thank you for uh, the Atlantic Council for hosting this uh, very interesting and very important uh, survey, and thank you for USID to have conducted uh, the work in NDI and all the, gr the uh, groups involved. Um, I have so much to say, and I'll try to just constrain myself to one or two points. Um, For once, we have some time. <laughs> That's why I raised my hand. You said 10 minutes. Awesome. I, I will try not to hug the whole 10 minutes. <laughs> um, I think Jeff uh, really uh, touched on a very important issue uh, for Libya. Uh, I, I, can, I can say that with certainty. And that's the issue of lack of trust. And that's something that's unfortunately been um, instilled, uh, grown for decades, and we are still continuing to suffer from that. Um, unfortunately, the events that took place post the revolution, including the, the, uh, the governments that were supposed to um, direct and drive Libya out of the problems that it's, uh, that it's facing uh, failed to earn that trust and build on it. So therefore, that trust is even at a lower point today than it even was during the Qaddafi regime. So we're in a hole, and that hole is getting uh, deeper. It's not getting better. Um, and that brings me to the point of um, uh, a question that I'd like to, to ask uh, Jacob, and the issue of corruption, because I think both trust and corruption relate. And I think we can all, all Libyans 
are mesmerized by hearing the number of billions of dollars being spent in the last five years, tens of billions of dollars being spent over the last five years, and not seeing anything on the ground that could justify this kind of expenditure. Um, more importantly, I think, and I'd like to elevate this point to another level, um, Unfortunately, there are some things that also have taken place on the, uh, on the international front that have uh, eroded the issue of trust. Uh, the latest by uh, what some may uh, refer to as the Leon Gate. Um, you know, that... Uh, Jacob is shaking his head as well. <laughs> I'm not bringing anything up that has not been um, perceived by Libyans as something that has taken place, and that does erode the, uh, the involvement of the international community. Yet, it goes back to also what Jeff was saying, and I believe Jacob had uh, touched on that as well. Um, Libyans overall truly believe that they are in need of some party that can play that honest broker to bring everybody together and build on that trust little at a time, even among Libyans. And they were hoping that Leon was going to play that part to some degree. Some feel that he failed. Um, to some degree, others have taken advantage of that situation, really pushed it to, to limits that were not um, favorable to, to finding a resolution to the Libyan issue. But we have a new opportunity today, and the international community is going to be tested with that trust of commitment and really helping out the Libyans being able to find a way to come out of the current situation. And I'll end with this. There is a, um, a concern about the role of the international community as a whole and its commitment to Libya. We hear contradictory reports. We hear contradicting uh, statements. Um, we, at times, and I'll um, speak for the position of the United States. At times it's, it's, it's heightened and uh, there are some very strong commitment statements that come out and then the action lacks behind it and so forth. So I, I think there's a little bit of a um, um, unclarity about exactly what the international uh, community is going to do to back up the government and national accord and how it's going to do that. So I'll end with that point. Thank you. Well, thank you, thank you for all for coming. Thanks to our speakers. Please join me in thanking them. And uh, as usual, à la prochaine. Thank you very much.